0: Kane Barlow, thank you for joining me on the podcast. I have, as before we started recording, I told you that I've wanted a mycologist on my podcast for quite some time. Yep, indeed you did. So I do thank you for coming on. Thank you for the invite, Dale. Nice to be here.
1: Yep. You're
0: very much welcome. <laughs> uh, one question I wanted to ask you is mycology is an interesting field. How, how did you get into mycology in the first place? Because it's one of those things where I think... You know, a lot of people say, I want to be a firefighter, a policeman. I want to go to the army, you know, pilot, whatever. How did you say, I want to research fungi?
1: Hmm. That's that's a long question. That's a, it's a long answer. That's um, fine. we got time. Bro. And and I don't know where to start, actually, because I guess it was an interesting journey. For me, it's, I guess it started as a teenager, just taking an interest in fungi. There was a point where at uni, where I was doing an arts degree at uni and I was looking up particular species and I found myself in the mycology section of the library and just kind of had this epiphany of just like, oh, I should be doing this. And, And I guess by this time I was out in the forest, foraging fungi, learning different species and how to identify them. But there was this particular moment where it just felt, I would love to do this as an academic pursuit. I then also had that thought of like how do you then make money from mycology you know do you go into academics or do you do it as a career and i guess at the time it was just button mushroom farming and and that was pretty much it so i went back to arts and i was thinking more about other aspects uh, so uh, psychology philosophy and literature so I've, i followed that pathway for a bit and then fell into website development and at a certain point my interest in mycology became apparent again it got triggered sparked off and i got into mushroom cultivation and then after a few years and i was hating my job at the time i just thought i want to follow this properly i had i remembered that moment in the library and made the decision to tell all my clients at the time I'm quitting my business, I'm going to university, changing career, and I'm going to study mycology professionally.
0: What was your business?
1: I was a website developer.
0: Oh, okay, right. What was the second spark? What was the motivation that set that second spark off?
1: It was walking through the forest, foraging for fungi, and becoming aware that the block of land that I tended to forage on quite a bit was going to be cut down. That mm. The land was going to be cleared. It was private land. There were all these beautiful mushrooms that I was finding and quite a bit of variety between different populations on the block. And I had this kind of idea about how do you preserve these populations? How do you grow them? Or how do you collect them and then grow them? in a way to preserve them. And so I started researching that and I fell down the cultivation pathway and looking at like, how do you grow oyster mushrooms? How do you grow shiitakes? How do you grow other species? Keeping in mind that I want to also be able to collect these other mushrooms and grow them as well. Mm. So.
0: Do you have a favorite mushroom?
1: Mm, I do. <laughs> <laughs> like I have a couple actually. <laughs> uh, I, after I remember, Okay. I think would have to be my favourite. Yeah. Do generic use... mushroom? Uh, but then I, you know, like, I, you know, I'm known for my interest in solospy. So, yeah. yeah. My other favourite is solospy suberica Okay. Yeah. It's it's just that uh, such a beautiful mushroom to mm-hmm. find. It's got this beautiful white stem, mm-hmm. that caramel brown cap. <laughs> you know, how how can you ignore that? It's caught you at the corner of your eye. <laughs>
0: Mm -hmm. do you use mushrooms for any health benefits so one of the mushrooms that got me um, specifically right off the bat was lion's mane i've had a lot of people ask me if it works and i think it does i've managed to get a couple people trying it do you know much about lion's mane in terms of its cognitive benefits
1: it's known to be Mm neuroregenerative, so it helps to promote uh growth of of connections between neurons. Mm. Uh so Yeah, and I and I have I do use it on and off. Yeah, it's good. I like it. Mm.
0: I've heard shiitake is meant to have uh some cognitive benefits. I read a couple of articles. There's nothing really points out specifically what it does cognitively, but it seems to be a lot of immune benefits, immune system benefits, but that seems like a lot of fungi does that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's there's definite groups of fungi that mm. that are known to do that. Mm. So uh, shiitake has a has a traditional heritage that goes back, you know, potentially thousands of years. Mm. So it's known as as a species that's good for your health, and then we use that, I guess, in our diet, but also within supplements as well, for for immune system benefits. And if, that that seems to be the main use. Is yeah is your immune system propping up your health.
0: Mm. Does it have a positive impact on our gut microbiome?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of mushrooms are thought to. Mm. Because
0: the gut microbiome, that seems to be coming into popularity lately. Um, Not really as of, so if you went back to say 10, 20 years ago, it wasn't really a field where a lot of people paid attention, but it seems to be... A field specifically now that's getting a lot of attention because they're seeing that there's a connection between the
1: gut and the brain axis, and there's a whole heap of serotonin receptors that are within our gut. Yeah, it's it's essentially the second brain, Mm. Uh, and there's a whole lot of really interesting research about about you know different fungi that will get into your gut Mm. and actually manipulate you Mm. in a sense of I think it's Candida candida can get into your gut and it can be off it can like there'll be too much of it within your gut yeah. and it likes a, a particular diet so it likes sweet food and i think it favors fast food and i remember reading somewhere that essentially with people who try to change their diet the candida will then realize it's not getting its normal dietary intake And will start excreting toxins to make you feel unwell to essentially push you back into the diet that you had
0: whoa yeah that's insane Mm. so that's inherently it takes over your body forcing you to eat properly that's
1: to force you to eat what it wants yeah
0: that wow so (laughs) you start to think do i even have control over my body anymore
1: yeah exactly so, How much of your gut flora is actually controlling or manipulating you yeah. to its own benefits?
0: This is a bit of a Last of Us conversation, if if you know that. <laughs> it's um uh, there's.
1: I like, mean, yeah, you know, like there's yeah. this whole thing at the moment about the Last of Us, is yeah, this, uh, the computer game that's now yeah. as, as a uh, TV, TV show, is, yeah. You know, like because the whole idea of there's this fungus that could potentially take over your body Mm. and control the way you behave and the Mm. way you think. Whereas it's kind of there. It's it's within our gut.
0: Well, there's a fungus that can do that to an ant. And Mm. ants are brilliantly smart. It's actually shown that when an ant gets infected by this fungus, as soon as it dies, the ants, so the fungus doesn't spread amongst the colony, would drag the dead ant body away from from their colony and then come back that's crazy <laughs> like to, i think us thinking we are the superior intelligence of this planet yeah. without really understanding how intelligent other creatures can be even something as an ant with a a brain that's tinier than i can't even fathom to understand something like that yeah there's there was actually a video where, I can't remember if it was a magpie or a crow that understood water dilation. So it wanted it wanted water in this bottle, but its beak couldn't reach far enough into the bottle. So it started putting rocks in the water, raising the water, and then started drinking out of the water.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> I've never heard that. <laughs> That's a lovely story. That's great. Yeah, but see, animals are, are really smart. There's yeah. a lot of tool using animals out yeah. there or including birds. Mm. I think the whole ant thing is fascinating. And, you know, to bring it back to fungi, mm. is ants, this whole collection, like ants, termites, etc. that whole group, they're known to cultivate fungi. Why? Why? For, for nutrition. So, oh. like your leaf cutter ants, for example. Oh, you know those... That, yeah. Uh, The David Attenborough documentaries, and you've got the ants, and they're cutting down, essentially just stripping all the leaves off the trees, yeah, and then carrying them back to their nest. Mm. They're using those leaves to feed a fungus within their nest, Mm. and then they feed the fungus all the leaf material, and Mm. the fungus exudes these, I guess, sugary enzymes that then are the food for the ants.
0: Can ants differentiate? Between fungus like humans can is that been observed I would imagine yes
1: to be able to do that yeah to be able to have this to cultivate the fungi in this mm. environment they would have to know how to differentiate
0: because there's even people who can't really differentiate between a death cat mushroom and a psilocybin mushroom all the time and that does happen unfortunately because people don't educate themselves
1: yeah that's a little different. It's yeah. differentiating yeah. between species. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine. I would. Am, yeah, it's, that's an interesting question. Mm. Is to what degree can something like ants or other species differentiate mm. between other species? Mm. I mean, it seems to be like certainly with birds, for example. You know, like they're able to learn from an environment. They're able to recognise people so surely they would then be able to differentiate between other other organisms other beings hmm. so.
0: going back sort of pre-human and when the earth was this molten lava thing and then it, it cooled off how did fungi survive or how did it come about because fungi can't survive in an, in an environment that's too hot so how
1: did fungi That's a a long story. (laughs) So the molten earth was 4.5 billion Mm, years ago. ago. Life appeared 3.8 billion years ago. Although it's thought to maybe even be earlier. Mm -hmm. It's just one of those speculative things. Mm. For a long time, I think for a couple of billion years, most life was very, very primitive single cell organisms. Mm. Um you know, like an Earth went through a number of transitions because it also went through snowball Earth mm. period about what 2.5 billion years ago. Complex life I think mean, complex cells didn't really appear till about one point between 1.5 to 1 billion years ago. But we know that the group that then became animals and fungi diverged from the common ancestor with plants about a billion years ago Mm. fungi then as we know them as basidiomycetes emerged or mushrooms as we know them as basidiomycetes emerged about between 700 to 500 million years ago
0: what was now, it's speculated mushrooms came about or fungi came about before plant life, correct?
1: No, plants probably came around before, originated before, probably animals and fungi. So, there was a point at which there was a divergence. So, there was one arm that then evolved into plants and then another arm that then evolved into fungi and animals. Mm-hmm. So, animals and fungi are more closely related than, say, fungi and plants are. Mm. Yeah, and so that happened about a billion years ago. That kind, that divergence between those those two pathways.
0: Do we have any relation to fungi? Only, only ask because. Oh yeah, we
1: do. Mm. Yeah, Uh, we share a lot of the same cellular mechanisms Mm. that that fungi have. So I guess. what is it sorry i have to remember my cellular biology (laughs) the plants have chloroplasts yeah you know it's it's uh what is it it's based on magnesium whereas uh animals and fungi have oh i can't remember the name of it. so animals have 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 based on iron isn't it like your blood cells, your blood cells are based oh, on iron. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And yeah, no, I know what you're talking about now. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I will just Sorry, three hours sleep with a baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> um but I know what you're talking about, yeah. I do know what you're talking I'd about. I'd have to quit Google. Yeah. Sorry. That, I'm sorry fine. to your listeners. I, that, I just can't remember that. No, that's fine. Yeah, my, 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 mind, my mind's my mind's space. I have not had enough sleep. <laughs> mm. So fast tracking. We come about the human evolution. There's a theory that the gap between Homo erectus and Homo sapiens, that gap could have been crossed using fungi, possibly
1: psychedelics. It's a theory. You're talking about the Stone ape theory. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. What do you was think of that? Postulated by the McKenna brothers. Mm. I find it really speculative. And I don't necessarily agree with it 100%. I think it's an interesting idea.
0: Is there any evidence on it? Or is
1: it just I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back to another part of the earlier conversation. Okay. Which was essentially we're talking about health and fungi in our diet Mm -hmm. and the fact that I guess there are at least two aspects to our health there's fermenting Mm -hmm. and there's fungi. And they're both really good for your health. Fermenting in particular is really interesting in that it provides uh, like a probiotic way of adding nutrients to your diet. Another aspect of fermenting is alcohol production. Yeast. Yeasts. is this production of something that can change your consciousness. It's been observed in some birds and monkeys and elephants that they know how to ferment, that they can pick berries and they will bury them in the ground and let them ferment to become alcoholic. <laughs> so, you know, and the birds and the animals, and they will go back to these berries and they will consume them. To get drunk. To get drunk. That's to hilarious. modify your consciousness. <laughs> <That's hilarious. laughs> I um... It's a thing that animals do. It's, it's one of the things that we have as... I guess animal beings. So we want to change our consciousness. So whether it's via mushrooms or oh fermenting berries, there's definitely there's this need there. And it's one of these things that comes up: is that isn't that it, shouldn't that be one of our human rights? The human right to be able to change our consciousness at will, according mm. to our own directives, our own dictates. And so, of course, you got to think well. Our ancestors, they're living within this environment and they're travelling from one location to another, one habitat to another. And during that process, they're exploring. They're sampling different plants. They're sampling different mushrooms. So during that process, they're probably going to find the the interesting plants that will change your consciousness and the interesting mushrooms that also change your consciousness. And we'll probably go back to those knowingly that... Oh yeah, we can take the mushroom and have a different experience.
0: I think the understanding of mushrooms between animals and humans would be a bit different. I think when an animal gets drunk, they probably just like that high hit of dopamine and the way it makes them feel. I mean, I don't know. Perhaps they, perhaps they have questions of consciousness, and we just don't understand it. But um, for humans, especially early humans. I think we kind of correlated it to a higher calling, especially um so early Egyptians and Greek and Rome and all that they kind of correlated to this sent from the gods kind of thing that's how they you know they'd take the mushrooms and they say these are messages from the gods and when we have these visions, they're of the gods and stuff like that even. Well, the vikings took it a little bit further than that they took it and went into battle which is the berserkers yeah I,
1: yeah, yeah they fully like get charged up on could you tell me
0: not whatever. I, I mean i don't want i'm i'm not <laughs> i'm i'm not i'm not asking for a friend <laughs> what mushrooms were they taking to s- split their personality in such a way where they would go so aggressive i mean
1: it's I've... thought to be Amanita Muscaria. That was the original idea, was that they were taking Amanita Muscaria, uh, and they were getting really high and that was enough to become for them to become really I guess dissociate dissociated to to then be in a position to, to charge into battle, you know, without really thinking about about themselves. I guess, you know, like you they're displacing their ego, aren't they? Mm. You know, it's just like Let's do this. We're going to charge into battle. We're charging into battle as a community rather than as an individual. Mm. It has been suggested that there are other plants that they could have been taking. That they could have been taking some of the scopolamine-based plants as well, with with a similar effect, mm. becoming really dissociated. And yeah, it's one of those things that's still open for a discussion.
0: Well, their archives, the Viking archives, they were they were, Destroyed. I think it was 90% of it was destroyed by the uh, early, I'm not sure if it was a Christian or Catholic movement. Yeah, once sort of the Vikings individuals sort of crossed over to Christianity themselves. Yeah, all that memorabilia, 90% of it was destroyed. So we'll never really know. But Amini Mascara, that's a delirium more than a hallucinogen, right?
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: What's the difference of the two?
1: is usually associated with the the five HT receptor,
0: five uh, ht two MO two A yeah two yeah.
1: oh, A yeah yeah receptor. So it's associated with those classic psychedelics, so psilocybin, LSD, mescaline. Mm. So the active ingredient within amanita muscaria is muscimol, which is which is a completely different compound, and yeah, and it has a deliriant action. So it acts on the GABA receptors, Mm -hmm. which is again similar to kind of alcohol, so depressant. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. it's it's a deliriant. There's another receptor that
0: because the GABA that's an inhibitor. Correct. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, There's another receptor that ibotenic acid also activates as well, Mm -hmm. and so there is there is a little. So when you pick a fresh amidita muscaria it's mostly ibotenic acid and then as the mushroom dries there's these uh, decarboxylation process that converts the ibotenic acid into muscumol which is a much safer compound doesn't have any neurotoxic effects but is it is mostly just a, a GABA agonist mm-hmm. from memory with psychedelics i've it's
0: always setting when people take it but one question one of my friends he takes um he's had psychedelics quite a few times and he always tells me oh you got to be in the forest you know to see nature what happens if someone is just an introverted heart would you take him into a setting like that or would you have a more somewhere at their house where they're comfortable sitting on their couch It's all, it's all coming down to personality wouldn't it
1: it is yeah. it comes down yeah. to personality it comes down to what you feel comfortable with mm. there's a huge thing about set and setting mm. when you take a psychedelic do you feel comfortable mm. do you feel safe uh if you're doing it with other people do those people feel safe to mm. you do you feel safe enough with those people that if you have a really profound experience and need to communicate things or, you know, want to cry or want to behave in a particular way, do you feel safe with them that they're going to help you to be there for you?
0: I think psychedelic mushrooms probably would have been a really good thing in archaic human times just because um, I find psychedelic mushrooms, specifically psilocybin, it makes you more um, loving to one another, caring. And back then there was just a lot of violence a lot of taking a lot of tribalism whereas i think tribes who probably experimented with psychedelics a bit more probably would have been a bit more open to sharing a bit more open to communicating do you agree uh mm,
1: that's a complicated Mm. answer (laughs) 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 that's this thing where you know like and i think this comes back to this discussion about about our our innate desire to change our consciousness Mm. but essentially if when you go back through history and you look at the plants and the mushrooms that various groups were taking um, there's really only a handful of different groups that weren't taking something that changed their consciousness Mm. so you had groups that were either doing Mm. some of the like the classic psychedelics Uh, or you had groups that were doing some of like the really i guess the heroic journeys Mm. like they were taking a plant that was really toxic and poisonous to go through a journey and you would come out the other side of that journey and go thank god i'm alive you know like and you look at some like the the toad poisons for example Mm. or the the scopolamine journeys that that some groups have or yeah, you know these rites of passage where the boys go off, and they're separated from from the tribe for a period of time, and they're scarred, and they're using really highly stimulating plants to go through a particular journey.
0: For the listeners, can you describe what a heroic dose is, just in case I people are unaware?
1: Just a heroic journey, in the sense of I'll come back to heroic dose, mm-hmm. but this is this is taking a plant that is unpleasant it's it's putting you into like a really unpleasant state of being like you feel toxic uh so things like i think like the cambo toad for example is one example where you go to do the ritual your your arm is burnt and then they will apply the toad poison and the poison gets into your bloodstream you become highly stimulated. Your heart starts to palpitate. You're sweating. You're vomiting. It's it's incredibly unpleasant. But at a certain point, you sweat it out. And you're, you enter then this beautiful period where you feel, I guess, you know, your endorphins have kicked in. It feels euphoric. And your sensory perceptions changed. And... You feel back in charge of yourself. The world is beautiful and you feel strong and it's yeah, I've been through this journey. And it's not a pleasant journey, but you have this overwhelming sense of I'm alive, I'm human and I'm part of this world, I'm part of this environment.
0: That kind of sounds like something um, an adrenaline junkie might go through just to get there. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's
1: exactly that same kind of thing of like you jump out of the plane. Yeah. You know, or, you know, for the extreme people who are like doing, what are they? Those those fox suits where they're flying oh, through ridiculous that's valleys stupid. and doing, you know, it's the same sorry, kind of thing. F- you land and it's just like, thank God I'm alive. Well, you hope you land. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you hope you land. Otherwise you're hitting a boulder. Yeah, it's... You know, yeah. like... There is a part of that that uh, I guess some of those cultures they're doing that thing with plants. They're mm. taking these really poisonous plants and going through this journey and it's just bringing you back to yourself.
0: Is that still happening today?
1: Well, people just do, do do cambo. Yeah. yeah. They do it in a medicinal sense. I oh,
0: know. I meant those kind of rituals. Do you think that would still happen today? I know there's a lot of tribes are not a lot but there are some tribes that still exist that aren't sort of live the way we do they still live you know like caveman like um, there are still a couple of tribes that live like that I'm not sure if they would do it but are there still any places that would do that kind of ritual now
1: there are groups in South America mm-hmm. that yeah, do the toad they do the cambo toad mm-hmm. still there's a beautiful set of document uh, series called Tribe by Bruce Perry, where he grows into different parts of the world and and is and asks if he can spend time with these particular groups. So if you're interested, I would definitely recommend looking yeah, him up. He's, he's a fascinating chap. What was his name? Sorry, Bruce Perry. Bruce Perry Tribe. Okay. And yeah, and so in one of these episodes, he goes and does. The Cambo Toad, mm. and and you know it's filmed. Mm. He's he's purging. He's got the sweats, and then you see him. He'll come out of this this toxic phase into this beautiful euphoric phase, and and he's talking about it. It's it's fascinating. Other groups, there is things like this Ibergain. I've heard Ivogain.
0: Iboga. It's, it's the Iboga yeah, in yeah. Gabon. Yeah. That's uh, um, In that West North, Africa. Oh, West Africa. I thought that was North America. Oh, I think I might be thinking of peyote.
1: No, no. There, there's groups that are doing Ibogaine in Canada. Oh, wow. As well now because it's been shown to reset your... Um, it, it helps to cure you of addictions, mm-hmm. be it heroin or opiates or Cigarettes tobacco work, or yeah. alcohol even. Mm-hmm. You, you can take the the uh, Ibogaine and go through this this experience and, and you come out the other end essentially cured mm. of, of the addiction. So it's, it's got high promise mm. for helping there. But again, it's a tryptamine. It's, it's classed as one of those kind of classic psychedelics. But in Gabon, they, they do it ritually and you can go there, ask to do the, the ritual you know, but it's a two-day process. It's a really long-lasting psychedelic. Have you been there? No. It's it's the kind of thing I wouldn't do. Okay. You you'd recommend that you go and get a heart check because mm-hmm. people do die from it. Mm. And you know, probably if you've got heart problems, <laughs> it fully yeah. it, it can affect oh, your heart wow. really badly. It can stop your heart essentially mm-hmm. if you if you have a heart defect. Mm. So you you get your heart checked beforehand, but you can go there. And it's incredibly intense. Mm. It's 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 one of those particular psychedelics that's really hard going. But for those who've done it, it's it's incredibly rewarding and
0: there's so an incredible many, experience. There's so many beneficial effects of psychedelics it, it actually bothers me that you know alcohol is this it, it's social very socially accepted, you know a lot even even underage drinking a lot of people will just be like oh he's just being an idiot but alcohol compared to psychedelics has a way worse effect on your health cognitively your liver your blood your heart your, it, absolutely it, it's, it's it's poison it's literally yeah. it, it is it's poison but these psychedelics that will literally take you through this 6 hour journey pretty sure it's 6 hours that could be life-changing before you bef- I'm not telling anyone to take it I, I, I'm not a proponent I, it's still illegal so please I'm not telling anyone to take it
1: I'm just saying <laughs> be aware um, of the law yeah be, be aware, aware of the law. Of very aware be aware of the law yes, but also please. be aware of yourself and yeah. I think set and setting needs to be very pointed much. out again
0: um, um, uh, health history in terms of because I've heard uh, schizophrenia and stuff like that yeah um, if,
1: if you have the if you possibly have uh, susceptibility to uh, mental health issues, so if you're susceptible to schizophrenia, schizo- schizophrenia, mm. uh, it's recommended that you don't mm. that you don't take psychedelics. I've had personal experiences with that with close friends who've taken psychedelics wow. and have become schizophrenic as a result. It's just one of those things. Mm. You know it's a sad thing to watch
0: what's the post process to that so if you take a psychedelic and you become schizophrenic is is there any way of coming back from that or is it once you've crossed that
1: line that's it that's a really complicated question i don't think i'm necessarily in a position to answer Mm. yeah (laughs) i think if you or a friend end up in that position it's definitely a matter of talking to a mental health professional to probably a psychiatrist and a psychologist I think it's probably one of those things too is it's wise to communicate to people around you that you intend on taking psychedelics mm-hmm. because if you do end up in that position it's better to have had people around you that are aware of that uh, and who can possibly be in a position to help with that process that you then go through because the last thing there are different strategies because i guess with my friends because i've had a couple of friends who've become schizophrenic through taking psychedelics they were probably innately susceptible to that anyway but they were then thrown into a health system where the the instinct is just to to then prescribe medication mm. so antipsychotics and you know, a whole gamut of compounds that are used to treat mental illness. It's it's a complicated space because I, I don't <laughs> because you know, and I, I'm not a trained mental health professional, so it's kinda of hard for me to comment in some ways, you know, but I mean do, do some of those compounds actually do more damage? Than what they're actually treating i think that's a conversation that's still open and i think that's probably that's why i'm pointing out that perhaps it's better that you have family members who are aware of your intention to do psychedelics because then you can talk about it and then they can be part of the process for your healing you know that because i i certainly having seen my friends go through it it was not a healthy process for them you know they were essentially it looked to me as an outsider that they were being experimented on. And, you know, and I guess to be open about it too, I've had my own mental health issues and I've taken, I made the decision to not do any medication as a result of that. So um, to, to try to work through it in my own way, on my own terms, because watching someone go through this process of trying a variety of different medications has not been a pleasant thing to watch. But at the same time, I have seen other people really benefit from taking medications to help them have that space in their life to take the time out to think through and to work through whatever mental health issues they're going through. And I also believe that if you are looking at psychedelics as an alternative to medication, that you really think about that hard and not jump into it quickly. Because there's certainly a narrative that's present at the moment is that psychedelics can help uh, reverse you know, some of your mental health issues. There are people out there who are talking about the benefits that they've had from, from taking psychedelics and what it's done for them. And it certainly seems to be clear that there are benefits there Uh, it's just a matter of taking it slowly and thinking about it and um, talking about it with your family and you know, you have a family, you have friends they're there for you to to support you
0: I know someone who um, still today suffers from severe depression, very severe to the point where they go for some, I don't know why, but they go in this comatose state for like days, they'll just go to bed and they'll stay in bed for days and days yeah days. that's
1: that's extreme depression and,
0: and they won't get out of bed yeah and it's not that it's not that they um, it's not that they just choose not to they actually can't get out of bed yeah Um, totally and this individual has been on many SSRIs this person has gained a lot of weight from taking SSRIs because some SSRIs do cause weight gain mm-hmm. none of it's helped they before taking SSRIs, were just drinking a lot of alcohol, I managed to get them off the alcohol while taking the first load of SSRIs just because it's counterintuitive. They have a lot of cigarettes. Like, they smoke, geez, a, easy, a pack a day. And I, I think that's just the dopamine fix,
1: to be honest. Uh, it seems to be a common feature with some of the medications mm. as well. Mm-hmm. I've seen that through friends and family members as well who've been on medications for depression schizophrenia is yeah that that kind of dopamine fix of of the cigarettes mm. certainly seems to be a an, a, a pattern mm. yeah
0: and now there's individual every time i see them i'm a bit sad because i remember them being a very bubbly person a uh, very very good looking person looked after the, looked after themselves but now you know just overweight very overweight lost lost a lot of their hair aged dramatically if it's it's
1: a sad thing to watch it's, it's
0: insane and yeah. none none of these SSRIs have worked but yet there's been evidence showing that psychedelics can help oh um, yeah it's absolutely but it's weird that we don't even have it as an option here even to go to a doctor and say hey is there another option for me? I've heard of this thing called a psychedelic. Could I possibly see someone like a a practicing psychologist who can sort of sit down with me and run me through it? But there's nothing. Mm. There's nothing like that here. There was a I know there was a trial that was meant to happen. I think it was at the St. Vincent's Hospital, might have been last year. That 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 ended up getting canned. I, I don't know why, but it, it, it got canned. If anyone likes, they can do a Google search of it. It was supposed to be people who are suffering some sort of mental health issues. If if you want, you can Google it. I I, I promise. It look. It, it, I think it's a Saint Vincent's Hospital. I'm pretty sure it is. Okay. I, I'm like there is a like,
1: project that happened. It is. It could be Saint Vincent's.
0: I'm like ninety percent sure it's Saint yeah, Vincent's yeah.
1: Hospital. Yeah. Yeah. I I haven't heard of it. But, I haven't heard of it, but it does ring a bell. Uh, but there's also, there's also the St. Vincent study run by Dr. Margaret Ross as well.
0: That sounds familiar.
1: That yeah, name sounds very familiar. Yeah. So she's been doing work with uh, people who are terminal, have terminal cancer. Right. Uh, and she's been, her patients have been receiving psilocybin uh, and have been having incredible experiences as a result.
0: Is that for this end of life that's experience? the end of life yeah. trial mm.
1: yeah that's so essentially just to demonstrate that these are these can be very very positive experiences for people particularly with uh you know end of life kind of trauma essentially it's just oh my god my life is ending and sending away a lot sooner than i expected it you know there's all the stress that goes with that and through her studies, she's demonstrated that through having these really, really incredible experiences that people are suddenly relaxed about it. It's just like, oh, this is a natural process and and are then happy to be able to let go and, you know, go through that final phase of their life. So uh, I'm not sure of this particular study that you mentioned. Mm. So...
0: Could be the same one.
1: Um, I'm pretty oh, sure it wouldn't it's... be the same one, oh, but we'll it could, it one. would okay, it, maybe yes. it is through St. Vincent's. So yeah. I, I just am yeah. not aware of it. Yeah, but studies come, studies go. go. Yeah, it's, you know, yeah. It's, it's just a matter. Look, there's studies popping up all over the place mm-hmm. at different universities now. Universities are definitely in a space where they're aware that this is a potential game changer with mental health. Uh, and there are lots of organisations that are interested in in the benefits here mm-hmm. of, of seeing that, you know, like, and I would imagine insurance companies are probably in on this too. They, <laughs> no, well, seriously, like, you know, like if you're a military person, and I think this is probably one of the things too, is like maps in the United States with them, the military in the United States have taken an interest in this because that awareness of, with post traumatic stress disorder, with a lot of people who come back from from their um, traumatic experiences, what they've had experienced mm. in the field, you know, it's just like it's a given, mm. probably in a way. No, for sure. I mean, bombing, shooting, yeah, it's it's, having colleagues die in front of you, you know, or best
0: friends die, yeah, that's, that's you know,
1: that, that's just going to affect you, mm. you know, going through that experience, and, and I guess. The perception is that that's going to be then a lifelong thing it's just like oh you've been through that and that's just going to affect you till the day you die i mean my grandfather was in world war ii and on his deathbed he was definitely going back to his war experiences and reliving them you know and that was a horrible thing for us as a family to have to watch so For people who are experiencing that now and with the military, if we're in a position where we can cure that, and let's talk finances here, you know, from probably the military's perspective, they're looking at it from a financial perspective. Oh, definitely. We have to pay for this person's therapy year in, year out, you know, while they come to terms with what they went through. Oh, but if we can give them a dose of this particular compound and it's only gonna cost us maybe ten grand to do that and they're gonna be cured of their post traumatic stress disorder, that's gonna save us a lot more yeah. money. You know, it's it's <laughs> it's just one of those things, isn't it? It's just yeah. kind of how big these big organizations look. And that's kind of where I think Organization like Maps are kind of like, hmm. This this is cool. You know, this is a way that we can push psychedelics and get it on the table, and it and it certainly seems to be beneficial in that sense. Mm. So, it's beneficial for the people at the end of the day who are now receiving those psychedelic compounds, and yeah, they're they're having these incredibly rewarding experiences through. I think it's MDMA that they're taking in those mm. particular studies, you know. But then, yeah, they're coming out of that, and it's just like, oh, I can see my life anew, and don't have this particular reaction anymore.
0: Yeah, going back to journals, it's um. So as I told you, I had a, a baby three days ago. Mm. It was really funny because yeah, the next day, a uh, girl walks in the room and she says, "Hey, I'm with the hospital. Uh, we're trying to sign." Postnatal mothers up for this study that we're doing about postnatal depression, anxiety, and stuff. In insight, like she said, no, but my insights, I kind of went, you know, what's involved? What are you, how are you treating it? I want, to, yeah, know. <laughs> Do, are, are we doing yeah, anything
1: what we, interesting? What are, what, are, here? what are we experimenting <laughs> with?
0: Yeah. I didn't say anything, because <laughs> yeah. I knew she'd look at me and be like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Oh look, I think there's there's definitely interest in that as well. I know that there's conversations in the United States, I think, with women microdosing mm. Mm. As, as a way of helping with, with postnatal depression. Mm. So and I guess, you know, if, if you're you're interested or um you're a interested, there's there's quite a few articles being published by Double Blind website about on the topic.
0: Going back to our earlier conversation about how humans communicate, something that's interested me quite a bit, especially lately because I've done just a tiny bit of research on it, is how fungi can communicate with each other. I had no idea this was even possible. So the hyphae and the mycelium, correct me if I'm wrong here, I just Googled this. Uh, So Google's always right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So supposedly through the hyphae, they can send an electrical impulse um, to communicate with each other and with plants. So when um, they're sort of getting into the root of the plant, they're sort of trying to—they uh, send this message to say to the plant, "Hey, let's make a trade here," so the plant doesn't kill this fungi off. Is that right?
1: Yes. Okay. So, Google, yes. so, so what you're right talking there. about yeah. is the okay the <laughs> mycorrhizal network. Yeah. That underpins it's pretty well most habitats yeah. uh, so the mycorrhizal thing goes back way back to pretty well when plants and fungi started colonizing uh the terrestrial part of our earth very very early on very very simple plants developed a relationship with fungi uh, where the fungi are uh, breaking down essentially like the the soil they're releasing all these nutrients and they're able to then pass that on to the plant in return for the plant sugars. Yeah. And this happens through the fungi, their little hyphal threads kind of entering into the plant roots and then through this kind of this really lovely chemical messaging signal system where the plant is essentially inviting them in. It's just like yeah, come in, you know, like I will accept that you, you're pushing your hyphal threads into my roots and then allow the hyphal threads to break through the cell walls uh, and then to form this kind of this beautiful structure called an R-bustle that, that kind of wraps around the kind of the inner cell membrane and then through that process there's this communication happening this transfer of of sugars in return for nutrients so it's 90% of plants are able to form this relationship and essentially you'll get some some researchers who are like yeah the the fungi are there and they're pretty well in charge of the whole forest you know they're connecting all of the trees all of the plants and there's this really dynamic network of communication happening the, i guess coming back to the electrical stuff though it's still very much speculation as to how sophisticated this this network is mm. at a very mo- rudimentary level it's just chemicals it's just chemical okay. messaging yeah. that's happening between the plant and the fungi and Cause between what, different fungi because
0: that was confusing me i thought to myself how is a fungus generating an electrical impulse uh,
1: we all generate electrical impulses. yeah um, you know and I guess this is something that that you can try as well. I mean you 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 know there's enough salt on our skin for example, that we can apply to electrical cables to to our arm for example, and we can find an electrical impulse that's traveling along our skin mm. through through that salty kind of interface. There are beautiful art projects out there where people are doing it with plants as well, where they've added cables to the plants and, the, and they're detecting these electrical impulses that are happening. So some of it might be real, but some of it also might just be environmental. So we have to be careful with how we interpret some of that data. And I know like with that that particular study that I think you mentioned, uh, I think they found like, They've identified like fifty electrical signals that could be construed as words, yeah. or as, or as distinct signals. So, like a language, like a language, but then if you talk to other mycologists, that they, they question it, they question the methodology. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's interesting, you know, and I and I don't just dis- write it off completely, but I think there's still room for further investigation and trying to work out, is it real? <laughs> we definitely know that there's a chemical language that, that's there. And this this happens between uh, various organisms, so between fungi and fungi, but also between fungi and bacteria as well. There's fungi in the soil that are known to farm bacteria, for example. Uh, we know from lichens. Lichens are a symbiosis between ascomycete fungi and cyanobacteria so and they have like a a whole layer on the surface of of the lichen that's where they're farming all these kind of cyanobacteria the cyanobacteria are generating the plant sugars in return for this protective space that they have Mm. to do their own thing
0: so when we talk i can say hi how are you and you can understand it through the sound frequencies that's yep. how we kind of communicate mm-hmm. how did they form an idea that they're communicating How, like is there some sort of chemical frequency or how how were they trying to identify a language if that makes sense do you understand what I'm trying to say?
1: Do you mean the researchers who are doing the electrical study, or yeah? So,
0: th- so they're saying that this fungi seem to have like a language when they communicate. When I was saying about us, we can understand how we can mm. communicate through sound frequencies and stuff like that. How were they trying to? Was it? Was there something?
1: I think I was just analysing the electrical signals that they've been able to collect, and there was different kind of
0: frequencies. There's different kind
1: them. of frequencies, and just different uh aspects about the electrical signals that they're recording okay they're trying they're just trying to classify mm. you know it would be like i guess uh if aliens were trying to understand <laughs> us for example you know they're some mushrooms first <laughs> <laughs> they're no but they're they're listening to the sound waves that we are creating mm. and then or I, you know like and we do it when we look at like ancient Buildings, for example, like yeah. Mayan hieroglyphs or Egyptian hieroglyphs, you know, it's, it's looking at, at at a symbol, trying to determine well, how's the relationship between relationship between that symbol and another symbol? Mm. You know, we can we know that that's a symbol, we can see it is, and I guess in a, with all, with the sound frequencies, aliens would be going, okay, there's these two, and they're making sound you know, and we can kind of classify certain sounds, you know, like you'd probably be able to classify like a hello greeting, for example. Mm. You know, so it's a very distinct thing that we do as humans is mm. it's that initial interaction that we have mm. of a sound that is matched then with another, another sound, you know, but then I guess once we jump into conversation, it becomes a little bit more interesting. It's, mm. You know, there's, there's a lot more dynamic but then you could probably also interpret the ending of a conversation as well it's like it's a very distinct marker mm-hmm. of a particular sound that we share we go our own way there's a movie a little bit
0: like that but it was the other way around so can't i think what's it called invaders i can't remember anymore um but basically aliens come to this planet and the uh, trying to remember the actors in it now it's been so long since I've i seen think it. i know
1: was this a recent thing like Couple 2018 of, 2019 yeah, something
0: like that and the um yep. you have them they're in these big suits and the aliens are kind of shooting out these like ink seals yes. and they're they're trying to understand what that means and then they realize that that's communication and then they kind of got to break the the code
1: of what all this means
0: yeah so it would be kind of something similar yes
1: yeah that's interesting. I think, I. think That's that's just it's a huge challenge. Mm. It's the kind of thing, you know, it's it's the kind of thing I think it's a little bit beyond us as humans. Very much is we have enough problems trying to understand other cultures. Each other. Each other. Yeah. You know, Mm.
0: I mean, even if someone who has a personality difference to you or someone who has uh, oh, yeah, some, some interests some interest difference to you, it's kind yeah. of like Ew. a lot of people <laughs> are like that but they don't want to know that person but you know, to me I think that's a bit of a waste, you know, mm. that person might add something, I think it's, it's actually special to have someone who likes things that are different in your life Absolutely it is Because if you always have that same thing, I don't know, it's just a bit mundane it adds a bit
1: of it shows the variety of yeah it does. life and the variety of our own experiences. Mm.
0: If everyone was the same, it would be boring yeah, it totally very
1: much would be yeah I know it, that reminds me of kind of that beautiful thing of you know like we're all just part of the universe experiencing itself mm. you know and it's just we're all just stardust so just yeah you know, or just enjoy the difference that you can make the mm. dif- the different experience that you can have mm. and to appreciate how you are different from everybody else around you.
0: But it's quite sad how a lot of humans treat each other just because of
1: small little differences. It's oh, it's just a different way of thinking about...
0: Yeah, it's almost like they're alien to you. but mm. They're human, That they're, they're you. What do you mean? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. You were talking about how fungi can sort of break through the cellular wall of the plant. Is fungi the only thing that can do this with... Each other and with other species, or do plants do this as well?
1: Plants do do it, but they do it in a pathogenic sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where they. I'm
0: only asking because I'm trying to think what can plants offer other plants. If
1: that makes sense. Just trying to think. No, there's no real other plants that do that in the same sense. Because mm. to um, me, that makes
0: fungi particular special. Particularly special. Yeah.
1: Symbiosis though, happens on so many different levels. Um, You know, like at the beginning of our conversation, I was talking about cells and the different parts of cells. You know, many of the different parts of cells were actually different organisms to begin with. And it's just that one cell has absorbed another cell and then they've formed a relationship so if I think of like, I think it, like, so if we talk about like algae, for example, the chloroplast was originally its own cell. Mm. It was independent doing its own thing in the environment, but it's just that one cell has absorbed that another cell and they we realized, oh, we can benefit each other. You know, like the chloroplast is able to generate its own uh, energy just from this beautiful quantum thing through uh, through light. Oh, I should know the term, but I can't... Because uh, you've got, like, heterotrophs and other types of trophic organisms.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, Some organisms have to derive their energy through consuming other life forms, mm-hmm. whereas plants are able to just generate their own energy through this beautiful process of just creating energy through light. You know, they have these receptors, the and the receptors hitting these parts of the chloroplasts just generate their own energy. It's mm. this beautiful thing. So that's one kind of example of, of symbiosis. But then you've got like symbiosis between like soil dwelling fungi and plants so that mycorrhizal relationship. You've got other fungi that live in cells, end- endophytes, and they, they do a whole other thing. We're not quite sure yet exactly what they're doing. They're there and they don't seem to be causing any problems. So But in terms of plants interacting with other plants, it tends to be pathogenic. So like you've got missile code, for example, that will start to grow within various trees, but it it's damaging. It's damaging the host mm. plant over time.
0: So have you heard of um But there is
1: sorry, interrupting you. No, no but, go ahead. but there is, for example, Plants have developed relationships with, with lots of bacteria, for example, as well. And you've got like plants from the Fabaceae family. So your peas and your beans, uh, acacias that create these specialized structures on their roots called nodules in which they allow bacteria to live mm. and they're nitrogen-fixing bacteria. So they take the nitrogen from the air and they convert it into a form that the plant can use. So that's also a really beautiful symbiosis that can happen.
0: How does it do that? How, how does it how does it pull the oxygen in the air to benefit? nitrogen, the nitrogen. Oh, the oxygen the yeah. nitrogen
1: in yeah. the air and it turns it into a, a form that the plant can use. Sorry, did I say oxygen? Yeah, or oh, maybe I misheard, sorry. I meant nitrogen. Yeah. Yeah.
0: How, how does it do that? How does it how does something like a bacteria manage to pull nitrogen? That that's interesting.
1: Well, nitrogen's in the air. Yeah. Ah, oh, what is it? It's it's like the air that you and I breathe mm. is a large part of it is nitrogen. Mm-hmm. I think it's like seventy percent nitrogen to thirty percent oxygen. It's, yeah.
0: So, it's, I think that's mathematically right.
1: I'm not sure. <laughs> Google that. Yeah. Um, yeah no Don't quote me. Yeah. I'm. Well, I just remember hearing that and thinking that's a that's interesting. Mm. Yeah, that's a lot of nitrogen. Yeah. And I think I know like with like with with divers for example because you have to have that ratio right and I think you have to be careful when you go scuba diving that you that oh
0: uh, you not to come up too quick not to come up yeah. too quick because essentially the nitrogen will start yeah. to bubble through in your, your body skin. yeah it can actually kill you yeah, yeah. it can that's right um, that's specifically true for our deep sea divers yeah it um,
1: is yeah I,
0: I'm not sure if they're true if the same thing's true for people coming from out of space. I'm not too I sure. I don't know either. Just yeah, <laughs> not speculate on yeah, that. No,
1: um but anyway, no, I, I was quite surprised that there's such a high amount of nitrogen in the air. Mm. So, you know, like the fact that you then have bacteria that are able to do that. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting.
0: I find it really interesting that um, fungi eat on the outside if that makes sense. So they digest yeah, they on the
1: outside. That's really interesting. Fungi live within their food. Yeah. Is, I guess, a way of phrasing it as well.
0: Because they don't have stomachs, obviously. So they tend to die. What is the enzyme they use to digest their food on the outside?
1: Oh, I couldn't tell you the specific mm. enzymes. Mm. It depends on the fungi. Mm. So you've got fungi that can break down basic cellulose. So plant cellulose, but then you've got fungi that can also break down really quite complicated structures like lignin, for example, and they have a whole well, yeah, they have a whole vocabulary of enzymes that they can use. Mm-hmm. Uh, so oyster mushrooms, for example, you can apply oyster mushroom mycelium to any kind of plant-based substrate, uh, and it will have a go at trying to break it down. And this is where this whole interest in in trying to find fungi that break down plastics is is a theme as well
0: that's amazing that it can do that yeah i mean we... well
1: plastics are are the carbon based mm. it's a carbon based chemical that's true so but it's still
0: it's... it amazes me that a fungi can look after this planet better than we can <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's, it's always really interested me in that i kind of ironic in a way that the so fungi that can break down complicated uh plant material didn't evolve till about 260 million years ago okay so all of the trees that were there between before that time period Mm -hmm. is has essentially then what's created all the oil wells that we have so right you know, so like you had these beautiful forests during the Carboniferous period and they essentially all just kind of, oh, hang on a minute. Mm. There's multiple narratives there. <laughs> so, so, the, the, so all that organic material that, that was collected during that time period then was slowly buried and is slowly fermented under the soil and I guess through time it's been compressed and compacted and, and that's where all our oil comes from. And that is essentially there as a result of the fact that there were no fungi present to be able to break down all those, those trees or all or that organic matter, complicated organic matter.
0: Wow! And so, so and if there what
1: had what been ha- fungi that had been able to break that down, we would not be in the position that we're in to drive cars, now, basically. To drive yeah. cars. Jesus Christ! <laughs> so, Holy
0: hell! That's that that's in, that's insane. So wait when you said fungi weren't around
1: or they weren't present in the type of fungi that break down complex lignin were not present during that that kind of that carboniferous period where there was all this really intense uh it was a really warm period as well so there was like all this organic material just growing and growing and growing and yeah it just it wasn't there was nothing there to decompose the really complicated stuff all the lignin and lignin is really quite sophisticated there's complex uh, organic bonds and uh, it's tough Um, you know it's what makes a tree a tree yeah you know you get these trees and they're like they're really tall and they're being supported by these complex chemical matrices that that is what lignin is mm. so, that's insane so fungi have around about 260 million 260 million years ago finally evolved a way to be able to derive nutrients from those really complicated compounds
0: that's crazy so if
1: and if f- we didn't have though this is kind of one of the jokes the kind of this... things it's like if it weren't for fungi we'd be mile high in just organic debris you know like jesus it's it's the fungi that are breaking down all that's all that organic material in yeah. our forests returning it to the soil so that the the forest can kind of keep surviving
0: well fungi is the reason we have soil in the first place isn't exactly. it Exactly. because they yes. break down rocks is that is that how soil is made they um i know when fungi first started coming around there wasn't a lot of um
1: so this comes back to this mycorrhizal mm. kind of narrative too is, mm. is yes, this primitive fungi were able to break down some parts of, of the soil. Mm. And it was through that process of breaking that down that then allowed plants to kind of slowly evolve and it was through the organic material that comes from plants then that this soil layer essentially developed. That's
0: why I asked if um, fungi came before plants because if... Fungi were the reason we basically have soil. Well, you need soil to have plants and trees. And yeah, pretty so much. Did fungi come before plant? Like we suspect back, so. So, in in saying that's so, fungi are the reason we would have CO
1: two. It's kind of complicated, isn't <laughs> it's, it? it's yeah, like... it really. It's, I'm trying to wrap my head around it, <laughs> and it's and it's kind of hard to put it into the right words. Is to me, it sounds like fungi created life, basically. Yeah, but what do you define as plants? Algae are still plants. Yeah, yeah. I, it's And so algae were around before, before fungi in some ways.
0: Because the oceans were around before basically everything. It's discovered that there are marine-type fungi, right? So w- yep. the marine-type fungi
1: have appeared before... First fungi were single-celled fungi, so yeast, for example, is a single-celled fungus, mm-hmm. and then it just kind of uh, will split apart into into a new single-celled mm. yeast, mm. and then over time, we, I guess, I guess like like animals and and plants as well as it's just one of those mysteries around evolution is. How did the how did single cells learn to work together, as in a cooperative sense? So you had this bifurcation, this this kind of plants on one arm and then the other arm. Animal and fungi. Then what became fungi and animals?
0: But then animal and fungi would have had to have split as well. So they did. Yes. I do. We know why they decided to say, "Hey, you know you." you I like you but we got to go our separate
1: ways. <laughs> <laughs> different strategies. Okay, you know like yeah, it's just different enough. strategies, different, mm. you know, I th- I think as humans we we struggle with this the time scales that we're talking about mm. are massive, you know, and evolution just take it just happens over time periods and and I guess at a certain point you have a mutation in one population that doesn't happen in another population. And then over those timescales, they diverge and become different. Mm. And that's how speciation happens. And I guess that's kind of how the kingdoms happen, mm. is that there's a significant mutation that that there becomes a significant difference. Uh, so with fungi, one of the significant differences is that they have chitin in their cell walls. Yeah. You know, like some animals, do, insects, for example, do have chitin. What's chitin? It's it's just a really tough organic material. Okay. Yeah. So insects, uh, like the exoskeleton of an oh, okay. insect, yeah, is mm. chitin. Mm. It's really tough. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of what helps give fungi that really that kind of durability. Mm. Yeah. Whereas animals then had a different strategy, I guess. Mm. So yeah <laughs> however that worked it's just like uh i don't know it was bit
0: have, have you seen um, that funky can supposedly live in the vacuum of space
1: it's, oh. it's, have, you, have you heard
0: of i don't know if that i don't know if it's true but i've seen some sort of online youtube there's this thing where fungi
1: have been taken out to space and they've managed to and then they've been able to bring them back, yeah, and that yeah. they're still alive. Yeah. So there's this idea that they could, they could, yeah.
0: Where I was trying to go with with that is, so if fungi
1: are basically the reason we're here, by the sounds
0: of it, it's one of the big components, I'd say.
1: Well, I certainly am one of those people. I feel that fungi underpin all our ecosystems. Yeah, they've been able to create these symbiotic relationships mm. with plants mm-hmm. They've allowed plants to be able to get the nutrients that they need from the environment to be able to do what they do. you know like though all these huge forests that we have are all underpinned by fungi being able to break down all that organic matter uh, and, and derive nutrients then for the for the trees that the trees need. So do you think we could
0: find fungi on other planets?
1: Oh, because I think I think whatever happens on other planets is just going to happen on other planets by <laughs> virtue of evolution. Yeah, and the the strategies that life forms take in those different mm. environments. Mm. I would think, though, you know, we have examples of that here on Earth of of convergent evolution, mm. which is where you have very very separately related organisms that evolve the same thing. Mm. and I th- you, you can see it in some fungi where some fungi have created the same kind of like gills for example or pores, even though they're separately related mm. Mm. I ask because
0: if we could send a rover to Mars or another planet and somehow find a certain type of fungi that can survive that type of environment well to me that kind of says there's a possibility of eventual life. Not saying there was life there or there is life there, but it's a possibility for eventual life. And that's fascinating. And I know we always look for water for life, but how come we don't look for fungi? Uh... It's not not a question I expect you to know, but to me, I'm not sure if we have, but I mean... I
1: think it's a process of... I know what... They're looking for water Mm. so that they can then look for organic compounds. Yeah. Mm. Or at least those kind of basic amino acids Mm. Mm. that then start to form organic compounds. Mm. Uh, So they want to find water so that they can find organic compounds. Mm. I understand
0: why they look for water.
1: And then from organic compounds, you would then have singular cell organisms. Yeah. Mm. And then I guess it's up to how those single celled organisms evolve mm. as to what their strategy is. Mm. And I would imagine that in time, something like the, the, the strategy that fungus have taken mm. would be a common strategy. Mm. You know, like but if we were to go to another planet and we find an organism that has taken that strategy and but then compare them, would we call them fungus? We might not, because they might have a completely different way of dealing with mm. the, yeah. the cellular mechanisms, That's true, of deriving energy, of how that energy is used mm. You know, the cellular membranes might be slightly different mm-hmm. um, the DNA you know i that it just becomes a huge philosophical question too with the whole, the whole aspect of dna mm. you know like uh, dna has evolved a particular form on this planet you know it it's essentially a paired system where you have these kind of these paired chemical compounds that that join together and it forms this kind of long spiral arm mm. and and you know it's incredibly complicated and sophisticated and it's a beautiful thing to to observe will dna observe in the same w- evolve in the same way on another planet <laughs> it's, well it's,
0: i mean we have a completely different um you would imagine it would have to here, be similar so
1: but maybe it might be triplicate or i mean to say or you know, it might be the same idea but using different chemical yeah uh, compounds. It wouldn't be
0: a carbon based life form though.
1: Um looking at oh, other no, planets. I don't agree. I think, you don't agree. Uh, I think it's I think Carl Sagan was probably one of those people it's just like it's the likelihood of it being carbon based is very, very high. Okay. Because of by virtue of the chemical nature of carbon.
0: Wasn't there an argument that silicone Based yes, life there forms. is yeah. there
1: is the potential for a silicone based life form mm-hmm. but it would be very delicate and it would have fragile fragile mm. and it would require a very specific environment to support it mm. but it's possible it's definitely chemically possible but the, because silicone does the same mm, has the same bonding mm. system but the chances of
0: it compared to carbon would be a lot smaller yeah, yeah. In t- especially in terms of um, being able to survive that very beginning standpoint, and then continuing. Yeah. Do you grow in your own fungi, by the way? I do I grow I my to own, ask own that fungi. In the beginning, yeah. but I complete, <laughs> but I completely spaced it, and it just came back to me. <laughs>
1: yeah, I grow my own
0: fungi. What do you yeah. grow? I grow oyster mushrooms. You've mentioned that a few times. Is that your? Is that one of your favorites? Oyster mushrooms.
1: Oyster mushrooms are incredibly easy to grow. Okay. Like they're really simple to grow. Mm. They're easy to grow because they're tough. They're durable. They're, you know, they're very aggressive with with growing through their substrate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's the mushroom that we all teach when we're teaching people to cultivate fungi. Yeah. So you know that's something I do. I teach people how to grow their own mushrooms, mm-hmm. and oyster mushrooms are the the species that I use because um, people just. You can get it wrong, but it's it's a lot easier to teach cultivation with oyster mushrooms.
0: I might have to come to one of those classes. <laughs> I <think> you might. <laughs> so oyster mushrooms, um, I, have, I I know them. Um, I have heard of them many times, but I don't know their uh, health benefits or... I know they are edible, but I don't they know... They are delicious. I don't, I don't know. I'm sure they probably go well in a pasta. <laughs> yeah, Totally. <laughs> but I don't know... Much about their health benefits. Could you uh, sort of relay a
1: bit of that? I don't think they have necessarily any medicinal.
0: No, I mean in terms of like immune system. No, um, that's what I mean. Like in
1: terms of immune system, I don't think they have anything specific. Uh, So certainly not like shiitake, for Mm. example, Mm. or Uh, the ganoderma or or chaga, chaga? for Mm -hmm. example. They don't have those same kind of immune boosting benefits. Mm um they they're just really good protein and they taste and really good they us. taste really good and really easy to grow mm. and you can grow lots of them when mm. you get it right mm. and i love them yeah See, i my favorite is probably of the of the oyster group mm. the king oyster is fantastic the king oyster king Jesus oyster Christ. yeah uh like... are in GI.
0: so yeah different species of oyster mushrooms the king oyster does that just mean it's the biggest of the oyster family
1: or it yes it pretty much is yeah Okay. yeah yeah, yeah. it has this huge stem uh huge cap mm. when you are allowed to grow a huge cap when you buy it in stores it's it's essentially just a huge stem mm-hmm. with with a tiny little cap uh but yeah you're 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 growing it pretty much for that stem mm. yeah
0: you were talking before, uh, before we started uh, this podcast, about how you went to the Amazon, right? Yeah. <laughs> could you tell me a little bit about that? Now, the Amazon, to me, is it's. I learned recently that the Amazon jungle, all I'm not sure if it's all, but a lot of the plant life that's there was actually man-made. Like, if you go back thousands of years, now this is just, a th- it could be just a theory but I've heard that a lot of the plant life there thousands of thousands of years ago was planted by tribes that inherited that land. And then there could have been this natural uh, disaster that happened that wiped these tribes out and then these plant lives continued and just spread. And now yeah. we have the Amazon jungle.
1: The Amazon jungle is huge. Yeah, like yeah it's I, massive. I can imagine. <laughs> and there are so many different indigenous groups there um, and they're all doing kind of their own thing. Uh, some of them became more sophisticated in time. So I know, like, particularly in parts of Brazil, yeah. I know they've done, what is it? Is it like like the magnetic analyses? Of, oh,
0: right, where they uh, try to look underneath the... They've um, looked under yeah, the forest, I and they've looked under the... Those, and they've
1: found, like, these huge structures and things yeah. that... Not
0: civilizations, they, but what looked like there could have been civilizations. Well, they were yeah. farming. Yeah.
1: There were groups that were farming. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can still see that underneath underneath the forest, mm-hmm. that, you know, they had like a really sophisticated agriculture in, in some parts of the Amazon jungle. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and particularly like, and then if you go up, not, not just in the Amazon, but go up through into Guatemala, for example, and look at like the remnants of the, the Mayan civilization, for example, they were doing similar things. You know they had this kind of beautiful permaculture kind of style relationship with their forests, and I think that's probably what you're inferring is there's this really strong permaculture kind of relationship that a lot of the indigenous groups of the Amazon have. Mm. Uh, so they're growing food forests. So they're not their agriculture is not like ours, where we grow these ridiculous monocultures. They are farming the forest, and the tribes will. You know they'll kind of settle in a particular area they'll live there for a period of time and they'll have these beautiful uh, food forests so they're planting there but medicinal plants with their food plants and uh, other plants that that are, they all kind of help all these plants help support each other right. which i guess comes back to a, a kind of symbiosis in a way yeah they, it, they it, work it's with just the forest. yeah like the people within the. And I guess because they also see the forest, they see themselves as part of the forest. Mm. So there's also like, I guess, a symbiosis on a conscious level of we are just one more part of the forest. And I guess they've learned over a period of time to work with the forest and to grow plants in a particular way so that they're all supporting each other.
0: The tribes that live there, when they see, obviously they're aware of people that live outside the amazon jungle sort of like big city people when we come into their sort of domain are they a bit standoffish like hey what are you doing in this forest you're not going to try and take it down do you know what i mean mm. is there any hostility there or are they very welcoming these tribes
1: uh there are definitely tribes there that are still hostile mm. and protecting their own their own culture mm-hmm I think it's a dynamic thing. There are groups that accept that times change uh, and that there are benefits. There are groups that wish that they had more support from the government. There are, are groups that, yeah, want to be just left alone. Uh, it, it's a complicated mm. mishmash, really, of of just. I guess you know different groups have different philosophies. They see things in different ways. So, were you traveling
0: with uh, some sort of medical um, oh, team? No, there? no,
1: no oh. I was just traveling on my own. <laughs> oh. so, uh, <laughs> Don't get me wrong here. No, no, I was just traveling there for my own reasons.
0: Oh, okay. So, but going through the Amazon jungle, you're ways away from any medical help, right? So. How- I didn't
1: go that deep.
0: Oh, okay. I was thinking you were going really <laughs> in the heart of the no, Amazon no, jungle. No. Okay.
1: <laughs> all right. I was referring in general, I was in the Amazon. So. Okay, yeah. All right.
0: <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, this, this guy's got some cojones on him.
1: <laughs> Jesus. I would look, I would love to do that. I would love to be the kind of person that can just hike off into the Amazon yeah. jungle and um do that go hang out with indigenous groups and, mm. and do that i i have taken a big interest in the amazon jungle because of their the way that they see plants and the way that they see nature uh you know my i also have botany as one of, as part of my background okay so you, you know like when you do, when you study mycology, there's no formal mycology degree, mm. for example. There's no formal mycology, you know, mycology is something that you do as a postgraduate study. Mm. So to get to mycology, I, I went through botany. Mm. Uh, so then I was studying the relationship between fungi and plants as my way into, into mycology. I also have an interest in ethnobotany. One of my heroes is a guy named Richard Evan Schultes. And he spent a long time in the amazon traveling around traveling from one group to another group studying their plants and studying their their cultures and how they interact with plants kind of you know like where my understanding of the amazon comes from is is just through wanting to understand how that has changed over time you know so like you're asking about the socioeconomic dynamics uh, I don't know it firsthand, but I certainly know from having, you know, read and looked at various things that,
0: mm.
1: you know, yeah, there are some groups that just want to keep to themselves. And there are some groups that are, are places in between. And then and then you talk to some people who are just like, we just want to live like first world people. You know, like <laughs> we see what how you live in your first world countries and we want to live like that. So, mm. you know, there's... It's it's a dynamic, yeah. But no, I never had the Kahunas to <laughs> to to hike <laughs> off into the Amazon, and I would love to do that one day, and I and I hope that I will. Mm. Uh, yeah, but I was I I travelled there. I went into Iquitos, and then from Iquitos I went into you kind know, of I guess a few retreats, and so.
0: <laughs> okay, and, I um. I think we'll uh, wrap it up there uh, it's been really good talking to you I would have loved to chat a lot longer but we are running out of time unfortunately um, that's all good I'd love to have you on again I think there is a lot more to talk about if anyone or myself want to come to one of your lectures on fungi how can we get in touch with you to attend one of your conferences
1: ah uh, okay so I have an Instagram Mm-hmm. Gorilla Mycology. So mm-hmm. that's Gorilla as in she- Guevara, mm-hmm. G-U-E-R-I-L-L-A, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Mycology. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I have a website, gorillamycology.com, that where I list it, where I'm doing workshops or things that I'm talking at. I'm mm-hmm. involved with various groups. So I'm involved with a group called Entheogenesis Australis mm-hmm. that had a conference last December. Uh, so their website is entheogenesis.org and I highly recommend checking them out but I work with them very closely and have a whole bunch of projects I'm working with them on this year I also do stuff at the Australian Psychedelic Society doing workshops here, there and everywhere <laughs> hopefully this year um, what else am I doing I expect to be talking at Mardi Gras in Nimbin yep. in May Uh, I've put in applications to speak at Earth Frequency in Queensland. But it's, it's best to check out my website and look at my events listing to see where you can see me talking.
0: All right, cool. Kane. it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dale.